I've got a little uh, quiz that I want to start off with, with the kids specifically. So sorry, grown-ups, you're out of luck. And I might have to disqualify to four kids just so I don't get accused of being biased here. All right, so... All right, so I've got a couple questions. Today is Easter Sunday, right? It's a big deal, yes? So here's my question. All right, let's, let's forget the, the Easter thing for just a second. Let's go back. I've been talking up here, kids. I know you don't know this because I send you off downstairs all the time. But I've been talking about Genesis chapters 1 through 11. So I have a little quiz, all right? So I need to see a hand, and i got a little treat for somebody who might be able to answer my question, okay? God created all the heavens of the earth. Dan, that's the childlike heart thing. You're trying to pull a Paul here, and it's just not going to work. When God created the heavens and the earth, on each day he created something new, and there was a specific day when God rested. What number day was it when God rested? Back there I saw a hand, Miss Delaney. Seven. That is absolutely correct. Nice. Almost. So close. There we go. All right, so seventh day. God rested, and he said, that's the Sabbath day, keep it holy, right? He said, keep it holy, and you should worship me on that day, you should rest on that day, it's a special day, you should honor and keep it holy, and so that's what God says. Now, here's the thing, I have a question for you. If you look, this is a, trick, this is a tricky question, so think about it for a second. If I were to ask you, what is the, if you talk about all the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all those days, if I were to ask you, what's the first day of the week, which one is it? Monday? No. Um, that was a good guess, but wait, what day do you think it is? Sunday, right? If you look at a calendar, what's the first day on the left? Sunday, right? Sunday is correct. See, I'm not a cold-hearted meanie. If there's anything I can teach you about Jesus, is it's not about getting all the answers right, okay? So, it's about grace and getting second chances. So, here's the thing. God said, rest on the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And yet, the first day of the week is Sunday. And what is today? Sunday. So, the question is, if we're supposed to honor the Sabbath and worship Him and rest... First day is Sunday. The seventh day is what? Saturday. So why are we here? You guys missed it. It was yesterday, right? We should have been here yesterday, right? So here's the million-dollar question. One more piece of candy. If anybody knows, this is a hard one. Why is it that we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday instead of, or on Sunday instead of on Saturday? Miss Carly, you know the answer? He created finished, or finished creating the earth on Saturday, actually. Or on, he finished creating on Friday. He rested on Saturday, but we worship on Sunday. Does anybody know why that is? Yes, sir. Technically, yeah, that's a good question. But actually, here, I'll tell you what. I came prepared with extras. That was a good guess. And Carly, ready? You got this? <laughs> Hey, I didn't want to take Stephanie out in the head. There we go. Those are two good guesses. So here's the thing. This is a big deal. The reason we celebrate Sabbath, the reason we come into this place and worship, the reason we have these days every week on Sunday is because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And it was such a significant and huge and important thing 
that we reorganized everything, and the church leaders early on said, what is there that is more important for us to celebrate than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And therefore, we as a church, as a body, all of the church, all of those who say they follow Christ, should worship and honor God and keep the Sabbath holy on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, right? And so that's the reason we're here. Today we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I kind of alluded to early, this was such a big deal for the early church that they would greet each other like this. They would say, they would come up to each other, they would say, He is risen, and the other people would respond, He is risen indeed. This was a greeting. This was a passing thing. They would say to one another, because the resurrection meant everything. We hang crosses up. I know it's covered with a screen right now. We hang crosses up in different places. We wear them on our jewelry. We celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But if Jesus had just died on the cross and not risen from the dead, it would have been a whole different story. And a lot of us may not be here today. The resurrection is such a significant and important piece of what happens in us following Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If you haven't been with us the last several weeks, that's no big deal. I'm not finishing, like, I'm not going to keep going on this series. We had a series going called The Sickness. I kind of alluded to the fact that the last several weeks, we've been talking through Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And as we talked about Genesis 1 through 11, we looked at all these different sins that happened. God made this perfect world. He created this perfect place. Everything is good. But the problem is, we chose, instead of listening to God and following God and trusting in His ways, We chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, and we said we are going to decide for ourselves what's good and what's evil. And the problem is when we took things into our own hands, bad stuff started to happen. Sin starts to break this relationship, and here's the kind of things that start to happen. Adam and Eve stop trusting each other. They cover up their nakedness. They're ashamed, but they also just cover cover themselves up, and they say, I don't trust you. And they hold everybody at arm's length, and they say, I'm not trustworthy, so therefore I assume you're not trustworthy, and I don't know that I can trust you, and relationships start to break. In addition to that, they started trying to blame other people so they felt better about themselves. They tried to hold on to their own identity and their own image, and they started to say, no, 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 I still, I was created in God's image, but that's broken now, and now I've got to build up a name and an image for myself. And so they try to do things. They live in this insecure kind of place where they're trying to build a name for themselves. And then not only that, but we see with Abel and we see with Lamech and some of these guys are not Abel, but Cain. And some of these guys in these stories, they not only would build themselves up, they would sometimes tear other people down in an effort to feel better about themselves. And they would destroy other people's identity to make their identity elevate. And you see relationship continues to break down and the effects of evil continue to infect and the sickness continues to spread. We see desires. We talked about Ham and the tent and we're not going to go into detail for that today, but all this messed up stuff that happens where people take a hold of their sinful desires and they pursue things that seem good to them in the moment that aren't good or healthy for what God desires for their life. And so we just see something that looks good, we think it'll feel good, and we aren't content in who God is, so we take desires for ourselves, and this evil continues to infect. And ultimately, we talked last week about this idea of pride and the fact that pride keeps us from humbling ourselves before God. Pride is what causes us to continue trying to push to build something up for ourselves, to build a kingdom and a name and a life here versus living for God's purposes and what God desires for our life. And we kind of talked about the fact that 1 through 11 is this buildup of helping us understand in Genesis what evil does to our lives and to our relationships and to our relationship with God, but that in chapter 12, everything would change. In chapter 12, there's this guy named Abraham. 
And Abraham has promised, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, even though he has no kids, right? And God gives him this son and gives him this great promise. And this family continues to grow up through his grandson, Jacob. And Jacob has many sons, 12 in fact. And he gets his name later changed to Israel, which is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And from one of these guys, his son Judah, God makes another promise. I'm going to, through your line... I'm going to bring about this prophecy. Remember back in Genesis, we talked about the fact that in the very beginning, when man falls in chapter 3, where Eve is getting, or the serpent is getting kind of his consequences, his punishment for what happened in the garden, God said, you are going to be at odds with her offspring, and one will come from her line who will crush your head, but you will give him a fatal wound and bite his heel before that happens, right? Well, Judah gets this promise. There's going to be this ruler, this king from your line, And so we kind of go down through the line of Judah, and the first king that comes from the line of Judah is called David. But David's not that king. We'll see some of that later. And David, all of this stuff continues to progress, and all of these things happen, ultimately so God can fulfill this bigger purpose of overcoming the sickness in our life and bringing about this treatment plan that he has for us. If we get sick and we go to the doctor, what's the doctor do? He starts working on a treatment plan. What is it we can do to make you better? How is it we can bring about healing? And so this morning we're starting this new series called The Treatment, where we're going to take a couple of weeks and look exactly what did Jesus do on the cross and through his resurrection. What exactly did Jesus' life mean for overcoming this sickness that's in our life? And ultimately, what are the steps we need to take to ultimately fulfill what Christ had called Uh, called us to do in order to accomplish this healing that needs to take place in our world, to bring us back to this place of the garden that God ultimately desires. So we're going to take a look at some different things here in just a minute, but if you would, bow your heads for a word of prayer with me before we go too much further. Father, I love you and I thank you for this day, and I give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that you've accomplished. And this morning, I pray that you just help us to dial in our hearts and our minds to celebrate you and all of the good things you have accomplished on our behalf. And so, Father, again, we just thank you and we give this time to you and I pray that my words this morning would not be about me, that you would get me out of the way and allow your heart to be communicated to your people today. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus I pray all these things. Amen. Now, there a second ago, I got off a little excited because, honestly, I had two videos that I was looking about using this morning and I honestly can't remember which one talked about the the Abraham thing. So you may get some of that in repeat just now. I just realized. I started to talk about it thinking that was the other video and then I went, wait, no, is that this video or that video? So what happens when you get too many videos in the mix? But I've got this Bible Project video I want you to take a look at. These are excellent resources. We've talked about them before. And this is going to do a far better job of kind of helping paint the picture of what this sin ultimately has done and how God offers this work of atonement and sacrifice for our life. So give this a little watch, and uh, we'll come back in a minute. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. You know, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. We have this picture, this, this idea of 
sin as this infection. And I like the way that video presents this vandalism, this graffiti, or in the sake of our example, this sickness that just feels like it spreads and feels like it causes problems. It feels like everything is just broken and messed up and not as good as what God desired it to be. And here's the beauty of it. Romans chapter 3 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages, what we get, what we earn from our broken relationship with God, for choosing our own definition of what's right and wrong, living for ourselves instead of living for Him, putting ourselves before other people, it's death. And remember when we were looking at the garden so long ago, we talked about this idea that the serpent kind of deceived Eve. If God said you would die if you ate from this tree, surely you won't die. In our minds, whenever that story takes place, we're like, well, they didn't die, did they? They ate the fruit, and they didn't drop dead. In our minds, there's this physical death that weighs out where someone falls over dead. They didn't take the fruit and then fall over dead, but the problem is we're talking about death in, a, in more of a sinister kind of vibe where we look at this vandalism, we look at this sickness, we look at this death of relationship, we look at this death of joy. We look at this death of hope. We look at the death that is all around us, this death that would come with eternity, knowing that we would be separated and far apart from God because His holiness and perfection could no longer tolerate our lack of perfection. Our impurity could not stand before someone so holy and pure. God desired for us to be in his presence. That's why he created the garden. That's why he created things the way they were. He wanted this good world where we were living with him. But because we chose ourselves over him, we kind of chose to separate ourselves from him. And his desire has always been since Genesis chapter 3 when he made this promise to the serpent and on through Genesis chapter 12 where he starts to set this plan in motion with Father Abraham who would have many sons he continues to see it through, through the line of Judah and through the line of David to bring about this Savior in Jesus. Someone who would come in and do things so radically different where he didn't live for himself. Matt talked about him being perfect, standing up to those temptations. The perfection that Jesus lived out was this beautiful perfection where he ultimately chose us over himself. Where we failed to choose God and other people over ourselves, Jesus did not. He ultimately made the sacrifices and the choices that put others and put God's will above his own desires. And therefore, he's crucified. And just like the sheep, just like the atonement for so long, just like all these sacrifices, this blood, which represented life, would cover up the sins and allow God's people a way to be made pure, to be made holy, to be able to have relationship with him again, to be able to stand innocent and pure before him. But here's the beautiful thing. Because Jesus himself was God with us, God here in this place, this sacrifice was once and for all and covered all because Jesus took on the sins of everyone when he was hanging on that cross. Much like some of those goats and those things that would be sent out, they took on the sins of the group of people. They took on the sins of some people once a year, and they would have to continually do this over and over and over again. But because Jesus himself is God and he exists outside of time as we understand it, he continues to offer that sacrifice for us even today, covering the sins that you might make later this afternoon and the ones you'll make next week and the ones forever. They have all been covered by his blood. And the beautiful thing is, it's like having this massive debt and someone coming and saying, I got you covered. I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll pay you back. No, you don't need to pay me back. 
Now, if I were to go see the person I owed money to, I would be scared, right? I would be nervous. I would be uncomfortable because I know that person probably doesn't like me. I'm like, I owe you a lot of money. I'm sorry. This is scary. You're going to break my kneecaps. But Jesus, it's it's okay. You can laugh a little bit. It's all right. Jesus, in the midst of this, comes in and says, no, he's with me. I got his debt covered. God's not going to break our kneecaps because he wants to. God is not this vindictive, vindictive, like, evil person that wants to smite us. God desires us to be in a relationship, but he can't allow our impurity, our brokenness, our lack of holiness, be in the perfection of his presence and his holiness unless we're covered with his blood. Because Jesus ultimately is our intercessor. He comes along with us and says, it's okay, they're with me. And God doesn't see the filth and the sin and the mess in our lives. He only sees Jesus, the perfect and spotless lamb, and the sacrifice of his blood. But here's the thing. I could forgive your debt, right? I could pay off your debt and say, it's okay, it's okay, I got you. In our house, we have this little saying. We talked about it a couple weeks ago at Camp Hunt. When we make the kids say we're sorry, right? The kids did something wrong, and now, okay, you hit your brother, or you hit your sister. You need to go tell them you're sorry. And they walk up to brother and sister, and they go, sorry, and then they walk off this way. We know that it was a really heartfelt and sincere apology, right? No, it wasn't. Yeah, they, she'll admit it. She knows. It wasn't heartfelt at all. <laughs> I'm doing this because I don't want to be in trouble anymore. I am doing this because, you know, I'm glad you gave me a get-out-of-jail-free card. I know if I say sorry, I'll get to go back to play with my toys. I know if I say I'm sorry, we'll get this lecture over with and I'll get back to my life. We will say sorry sometimes without this true, genuine sense of repentance. And here's the thing. Christ can die on a cross and offer us his blood and give us forgiveness for our sins. But as Paul points out, just because God gave us this grace, and this grace is greater than all of our sins, that doesn't mean we should keep on sinning. And this is the reality of it. If it ends with the cross... We are still lost in our death. We're still lost in our wicked ways. This sin, this, this ugliness, this infection is still exists in us. It needs a way to be cleaned out. It may no longer kill us, but the reality is it's still going to weigh us down. It's still going to bring a death to hope and joy and all the wonderful things God designed for us. There has to be a way to purify and clean what is there. And the beautiful part is, as Jesus not only dies... He is then buried, and he is then resurrected from the dead. And as Jesus comes back to life, he offers an amazing gift. He says, I have conquered death. I have conquered the troubles. I've conquered the sin. I've conquered this illness. I've conquered anything that could ever stand against you. I am now in complete control of everything. And all of heaven and all of earth, all authority has been given to me. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm in control now. And as long as you're with me, you can be resurrected into new life with me. And that sin, that infection, that selfish desire, that way of living for yourself can be eradicated just like all of sin was. If you trust me and seek me, I will help you along the way to clean it up. That doesn't mean it's an overnight process. It doesn't mean I hit my knees one morning and say, God, please purify me. I need this stuff gone. And tomorrow we are a perfect person. That's not the way it works. But there's this slow process of saying, God, I recognize my selfishness. God, I still recognize my brokenness. God, I still recognize the infection, the impurity, the brokenness, the vandalism that's in my life. I still realize how it's impacting the relationships that I have. And I want to be resurrected into new life so it's no longer I who live because I will always make a mess of it. 
but I want to follow you in baptism where I die to myself and my broken nature and I am resurrected into new life with you where you are now in control. I give you the authority of my life just like you have all authority in heaven and on earth and I trust you with everything. It's taking the step to trust where Adam and Eve did not. It's saying, I'm not going to choose what's good and evil for my own life anymore. I'm going to trust those keys into your hands, and I'm going to follow you because I know that your way leads to life and hope. And my way only leads to selfishness and destruction and brokenness. And I want something that brings joy and hope and life into my life and into the world around me. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, or not, sorry, not Ephesians, Colossians, my bad, Colossians. Same thing as the video. I watched too many videos and I read too many passages of scripture. So Ephesians was another one we talked about. But Colossians chapter 2. When you're talking about the resurrection, it's pretty easy to find good content, not going to lie. Um, so there's, the scripture talks about it in depth. And if you check your bullets in this week, there are lots of other scriptures you can go and read. That'll be a, a benefit and a blessing to you. But Gen- or, uh, Colossians, not Genesis, Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 6, let's read along together. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful works of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, I could read that over and over and over again. There's probably 15 more things we could grab and pull out of there each time we read it. The beauty of that passage and the beauty of so many other passages like it continually remind us. Adam, sin entered the world through one man. Romans chapter 5 talks about through one man, sin entered the world, but through one man, sin was taken care of and dealt with forever. Paul's words here remind us. Paul's words and so many others of, other of his letters remind us that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, but Christ that lives in us. And so the first step in following him is recognizing the beauty of the gift that he is offering, the beauty of the simple fact that God did not come in this world to condemn the world, just like John chapter 3 tells us. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to rescue and save this world from its sins to rescue and save us from ourselves, because I can say I'm a good person until I'm blue in the face, but when push comes to shove at the end of the day, there are still so many moments where I choose myself over God. There are still so many moments where I choose myself over you or other people. And God's desire for what was good, what he created to be good, was a world 
where we love and we trust and we are in relationship and we have peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit because those are the characteristics of who God himself is. And a good world, a perfect world, the world that he designed us to live in is the world where we show those attributes. We show those fruits of the Spirit to one another and to him. And so the beautiful picture that we remember and we celebrate this morning is that we no longer have to continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Christ died so that we could be forgiven, and the beauty is we can leave the shame and the guilt that we feel about those sins right here. By Christ dying on the cross, he covered those. They're taken care of. And every time I hold on to guilt and shame and say, I don't know, I just don't think I'm a good enough person, we pick up that junk and we carry it with us and we say, God, your grace wasn't good enough. God, I'm going to hold on to it because I just don't trust you that it was good enough to cover my sin. I'm somehow worse than everybody else, so your sacrifice clearly doesn't cover me. And we don't trust his good word that our sins are covered. But the next part of it is remembering that not only did he cover that, and we can leave it here, and we know we'll still make mistakes, but it's okay, it's forgiven. I can press on to take hold of new life and trust in him so he can transform me and make me new and make me look reflect the image that I was born to carry, the image that I was born with in the very beginning. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The problem is I've been trying to build my own image. I've neglected that image. I've cast it off and said, no, I'm going to choose what's best for me. And since I was a youth, I've made sinful decisions, evil decisions that were focused on me. But now I want to say, God, I want to bear your image and your representation, and who you are, and I want to look like you. And because you died on that cross and rose again into new life, I can be baptized and die, be buried, and resurrected into new life to follow you. And so the worship team is going to come back up this morning, and we're going to close out this celebration of the wonderful gift that Christ gave us. This is the good news that causes us to meet every Sunday morning. This is the good news that radically transformed everything. We know the impact that Sunday has on our culture and on our world. Once upon a time, the culture and the world didn't stop on a seventh day to rest. Once upon a time, so many things didn't look the way they do, but the resurrection literally changed everything in so many different ways. And the good news is the resurrection still carries power and weight to transform you today. And the reality is God's heart and desire is for us to see his love and what he was willing to go through to bring us back into relationship. He's not sitting there with his lightning bolt ready to smite us for every wrong step we take. He has always been giving of himself to try to help us understand what it looks like to trust him, to just listen and follow him. And this morning we celebrate the most amazing gift we could have ever received in Jesus Christ. And so this morning you may be wrestling with that and you may have never made a decision to follow Christ I would love to talk to you about that because, man, it's the greatest choice we could ever make to trust in the, the, the world and what it would look like if we rested in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control would look vastly different than it does today. And if we trusted him and followed him and gave him our everything, man, what could we accomplish and what could we do to make this world a better place, to make it look more like the garden that God intended in the first place? Maybe you're just wrestling with some guilt and shame that you're having a tough time. You've chosen to follow him and you believe that he's good, but maybe you're just having a tough time letting go of some of that guilt and shame and not trusting him completely. If you want to pray, come pray. If you just want to pray because you've got a burden on your heart and you want us to pray over you, we'd love to pray with you. Whatever it is this morning, we encourage you 
seek God's face and to call out to him in prayer. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to have a word of prayer, and if you need to pray, please come forward or stay there. Grab somebody nearby. Seek his face. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. And I'm thankful this morning that we get to celebrate the most amazing gift. Father, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the ways that you gave yourself for us. And this morning, it would be silly for us to talk about too many other things other than just the simple, beautiful truth that you died, were buried, and resurrected on our behalf, and you have called us to follow in suit, to pick up our cross daily, to die to ourselves, to be buried in baptism, and to be raised again, resurrected into new life, to be your followers. And so, Father, I praise you for the ways you've conquered death, but I pray that you would help us to take a step beyond that grave and beyond that death so that we can truly live a new life in you. I love you, and I just give this time of prayer into your hands. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.